Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you. I like calling you my friends. That's what I consider you to be. And I'm grateful to be here with you this morning. I'm going to invite you to take out your Bibles, the ones that are in front of you in your seats, and turn to page 951. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And this week, we're going to jump from 25 down to 30. Two. We're looking at uh, Ephesians 4 for the next five weeks. So last, last week we started with kind of a, an overview of the whole section in this letter. And today we're going to primarily focus on verse 25. But each week that we gather, I'd like us to read through it together. So I'm going to ask you to read with me out loud. Does that make sense? Good. So we're going to read the scripture together. And I'm going to give it just a few more minutes as the offering plate passes because I would like us to stand together as we read it to honor the scripture. So, does everybody have the book open? The good book? Excellent, thank you. And I'm going to invite you to stand now. <clears throat> and we're going to start in verse 25 and we'll read down to the end, to 32. Are you ready? Let's read together. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption." Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stay standing for a moment. And I would just invite you to take a moment to um, close your eyes. Breathe for a minute, just be aware of your breath and what we just read. And then let's just invite the Holy Spirit to guide, to teach, to lead. So we open ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, because we trust you. We trust that as you go and do work in us and things that you may want to bring to our attention, things that maybe we're not aware of in ourselves that need work, that need help, that need practice, we ask you to come into those spaces. And if you would ever be so gracious and so kind to remember your mercy as you go into those spaces. Because for all of us, some of it is, is tender and it's hard and we're not quite sure what to do with it. And so we just want to yield to you. We want to give it to you. And just say, have your way, Holy Spirit. Your words that we just read are, are living and moving and breathing. They're almost like they're reading us. We're not reading it. So we submit to you. 
We open ourselves up to you, Jesus, and ask that you would be the one to transform us as we choose to cooperate and participate in what you're doing in the world. So we open our hearts to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So I'm going to focus on verse 25. If you want to keep the text in front of you this morning and sit with verse 25, verse 25 talks about putting away falsehood and learning how to speak the truth to our neighbor because we are all members of one body. There's a lot in there. Falsehood, speaking truth to our neighbor, and then ultimately the reason why we do these things is because we belong to something bigger than ourselves. We're, we're deeply connected to Christ in some mystical way, some profound way. Uh, we are partakers in the divine nature of Jesus himself. Uh, because we've chosen to step in and learn how to walk in the way of Jesus, uh, we wanna be a people who fully embody that. I've been reading a book uh, as of late that has really um, helped shape and have brought uh, some things to light as I've been moving through Ephesians. It's a book by N.T. Wright called After You Believe. Um, N.T. Wright is a profoundly gifted theologian of the New Testament in particular and has done a lot of work um, around the New Testament and, and particularly Paul and Jesus. Um, but in this book, he talks about, so when you say yes to Jesus, then what? What, what comes after that? And in the book, essentially, he's talking about our character. Um, he uses the, the term, how to develop your moral muscles. And uh, we're so uh, keen and aware of how to develop our outer muscles, our bodies, our diets, but how much time and attention do we give to developing our minds, our inner lives, and our very soul? Um, what are we saturating ourselves in? What are we giving ourselves over to? Because every moment and every day, you're, you're being formed and shaped by something or someone. And um, every decision matters. So like even the little decisions um, that come our way as we learn how to walk in the way of Jesus, there's all sorts of things that are going on inside of us that we may not be aware of. In the book, he talks about um, a lot of the, the recent discoveries and studies that have been, been done in the field of neuroscience. I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm a pastor. But I, I love what he had to say about the field and study of neuroscience, which is relatively a new discovery as, as uh, scientists are learning about the human brain and, and how we're wired and um, that we can actually rewire some of our thinking and uh, do some configuration and some, and some work. Paul talks about renewing our mind, renewing our thinking thousands of years ago, way ahead of the curve. But as we talk about uh, the human brain and we talk about how we're learning and developing and practicing uh, embodying the way of Jesus, this is what he has to say. And I, and I just wanted to draw this, bring this to your attention, what he had to say about the brain. I found this fascinating. He says, when people consistently make choices about their patterns of behavior, physical changes take place within the brain itself. The clear indications are that significant events in your life, including significant choices that you make about how you behave, create new information pathways and patterns within your brain. Parts of the brain actually become physically enlarged when an individual's behavior regularly exercises them. Really fascinating. So they've done all these studies to look at people's behaviors and what, what gets heightened in the human brain. And, and this really got my wheels spinning about um, learning how to practice the way of Jesus in the world. And whether we choose to fully embody the way of Jesus or to be the light in the world, essentially it's coming down to the same thing. We wanna be a people who actually live into and practice how to walk in the way of Jesus. 
We don't want to just talk about it. We don't want to just study it and memorize it. We want to actually practice it. So we want to be a people that practice it. So when you think about the brain and how it's wired and how it's being rewired, so you could say essentially as, as we learn how to walk in the way of Jesus so that others can flourish and so that our world can flourish and connect back to the heart of God, we want to put certain things into practice. So when we move through a passage like Ephesians, we're not just reading a list of rules of do's and don'ts or these are the things that you have to do. These are the things that we're made of. These are the things that Jesus calls us into to actually put into practice. Last week, I mentioned something that Anne Lamont had said about um, forgiveness. And I love what she says. And I've been sitting with this all week that basically earth is forgiveness school. If you think about it. Um, Earth is forgiveness school. And I was walking around Benicia the other day and just thinking like, my God, there's so much that I have to practice and so much that I have to constantly forgive because people are so irritating. (laughs) And it's, so there's all these missteps that people take and that I take in ways in which um, I hurt people, but unintentionally. It's not not that I set out to hurt people. It's just sometimes you forget or um, you make mistakes. And sometimes you miss the mark. And sometimes you don't, you don't do the things that people expect you to do. And so I think just earth is just a, it's a practice school. We're trying to practice forgiveness all the time. And we have to learn how to lean into that. But this particular passage this morning talks about moving away from what I would call a spirit of falsehood. And then practicing telling the truth to our neighbors, which is that person sitting right next to you. And then because we want to be a people who put away falsehood and practice telling the truth, the reason why we do that is because we're members of the same body. So our decisions, things that we do, actually affect people in this room more than we realize. So we have to be really mindful and careful about how we go about doing relationships. And N.T. Wright calls this learning how to develop our moral muscles. And I think essentially what he's saying is we're, we're trying to learn how to develop our character And our character, if you break it down, has to do with our patterns of how we think and how we behave in the world. So we're going to talk about patterns of behavior and how that shapes how we see the world. A question I I asked this morning is that if we were to examine your life on the outside and see you as a relatively good person, because most of you in the room are relatively good people, but if we were to cut into you somehow, and see the inner parts of your life, would they match up with the outer parts of your life? If we cut in, what are we gonna see? If we cut into Jonathan this morning, what are we gonna see inside? Is it the same on the inside as it is on the outside? Because if we're honest with one another, at first glance, many of us are putting on a facade. We're we're putting on something for people to see. We, We want people to see certain parts of our character, and so we put on these elaborate costumes at times, and we're honest, and we're true, and we're patient, and you see all these things come out. But oftentimes what happens when there's a crisis, or when the heat gets turned up too high, or as I I would say, when the volume goes past 10 to 11, and things really start to spin, what actually spills out of our lives? What are the things that come out when we are up against the wall? There's a a story in um, this book called After You Believe that I wanna read to you. Uh, It's about a rabbi, and I found it to be really helpful. I'm blanking on it somewhere in here. Where did you go? All right, there it is. 
Welcome back. Hey, welcome back to the show. It says this. There was once a rabbi who had a phenomenal reputation for thinking logically and clearly in any and all circumstances. To put him to the test, his students took him out one evening and sent him to sleep by plying him with strong drink. I would say to my staff here this morning, please don't do this to me. <laughs> then they carried him to the graveyard and laid him out nearly in front of a tombstone. They kept watch to see what he would say on waking. When the great man came to, his logic didn't falter for a moment. Point one, he said, if I'm alive, why am I lying in a graveyard? Point two, if I am dead, why do I want to go to the bathroom? <laughs> Even in these bizarre circumstances, his head was as clear as ever. Isn't that interesting? Like when you cut through a person in a moment, like what's, what comes spilling out? What, what is seen, what is revealed is our true nature. And the things that come out inside of us, you, I mean, you look, at, you look at Ephesians 4 and you see this list and you're like, my goodness, that is quite the list. Anger and bitterness and rage and malice, all these things. And you're thinking that it's so, it's almost like it's so unnatural in a sense, to, to put these things into practice because the, the commonality of us is I don't want to forgive people. I just don't want to because some people are mean. And I, and I don't want to put these things in there. And I want to sit with my anger sometimes and I, and I want it to brood, and, but it can turn into other things. So what's going to come out when the heat gets turned up? N.T. Wright tells another story about a preacher who had a friend who was well-known for his short temper. Anybody have a friend like that? Short-tempered friends? One day at a party, he asked his friend to help him serve some drinks. Seems to be a theme here. The preacher himself poured the drinks, deliberately spilling several of the glasses a bit too full. He then passed the tray to his friend as they walked into the room to distribute the drinks. He accidentally, on purpose, great line, bumped into the friend, causing the tray to jiggle and some of the drinks to slosh over the brim and spill. There you are, you see, said the preacher. When you're jolted, what spills out is whatever is filling you. When you are suddenly put to the test and don't have time to think about how you're gonna come across, your real nature comes out. Am I talking to anybody in the room? <laughs> whatever fills you will spill out. That's, that's reality. So the things that are filling us, that's why putting into practice Ephesians 4 is more than just follow the rules, follow this list, but the things that are filling us are going to spill out to the people around us, to our relationships, to our families. So the practice today that we're going to step into is how do we then move away from what I would call a spirit of falsehood? How, how do we identify um, a spirit of falsehood living and breathing in us? And, and how do we move from that into speaking truthfully, living more into the truth to our neighbors so that the members of the body can flourish and grow? So a couple of observations before we get and dig into this. I think it's possible to operate in a spirit of falsehood without saying a word. It's possible doesn't necessarily mean that if you begin to speak truthfully that you're not operating in a spirit of falsehood. Sometimes we like to think, well, I'm just a truth teller. That may be the case, but there still may be some falsehood operating down in your lives. There's, there's all sorts of ways in which we can be captured in a spirit of falsehood, even more so than just simply 
with our words. Let me give you an example. Let's say a, a bank has been robbed. Three people, three eyewitnesses, um, actually see the event unfold. They find a man that they think is the person who committed the crime, and they bring him in and begin to question him and interrogate him. They bring in these three eyewitnesses. Eyewitness number one is asked the question, can you identify the man who robbed the bank? Eyewitness number one says, yes, that's, that's the man. Well, that's clearly a lie, okay? This person didn't rob the bank, clearly a lie. Person number two says, all I know is that I saw him near the bank. Again, withholding information doesn't mean that he robbed the bank, but he happened to be uh, by the bank when this went down. Makes it suspicious, but not entirely true. Person number three doesn't say a word, but knows that the man isn't guilty, is quiet, is silent. All three are expressions of falsehood. Person number one, it's a lie. Person number two, number three, withholding information. One is silent, one withholds. All operating in a spirit of falsehood. So putting on falsehood or putting on and operating doesn't just mean in order to put it off, I have to start telling the truth. Paul isn't saying speaking truth assumes that you're no longer operating in falsehood because you can still operate in a spirit of falsehood without saying a word. There's a myriad of ways to be stuck in a spirit of falsehood. So it's more than just, I'm going to start telling the truth. What we need to get to is kind of the thing under the thing. And many times what we do is we deal with the symptoms, but we're not really dealing with the real issue. So telling lies is a symptom of operating in a spirit of falsehood. But what's really going on is the stuff underneath it. And that's what we need to get to. We got to get to the root of what's causing these things to come out when the heat gets turned up. One of the clear definitions that, that I sat with this week in terms of what it means to be a person of truth, uh, a person of integrity, to move away from the spirit of falsehood is that you come to the place where you actually love the truth, but you don't just love the truth, you love the truth at all levels. And we're gonna talk about those levels this morning. And I thought, what would a person who lives in the light, who lives in truth, that lives with the spirit of truth actually look like? Because I want to know, what, what would that actually look like played out in our human experience? And a person who operates in truth, I think, can clearly state this, is a person who has an unbiased spirit, a person with an open spirit, a person with a clear and pure heart, a person who is objective, not prejudice, not prone to exaggeration. Am I talking to anybody in the room? A person who is quite able to take criticism because she is very truthful with herself. Amen. Oh, you said amen, Gary. I don't know if anybody else wants to say that. <laughs> You're not talking about your wife, are you? Okay. You good? <laughs> Who's moving away from falsehood and moving more into truth. Now, why does that matter? Because of verse 30. If you look at verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're in a relationship. We're not, this isn't just a religion. This isn't just like, I wanna check off these things on the box so that I'm in right standing with God. It's that we are in a relationship, a loving relationship. And the Holy Spirit is a person that we get to be in relationship with. And the Holy Spirit invites us into a loving relationship, so much so that I don't wanna do anything to grieve the one that I love. 
the person I love, the people in my family, the ones that are, are in my heart. I don't want to do anything to grieve or quench or, or disconnect from the ones that I love. And that raises a question for me. Do I love the Holy Spirit? Do I love the Holy Spirit so much so that I am willing to submit in every area of my life, that I'm willing to have hard conversations, that I'm willing to take criticism because I know myself well enough to go, yeah, that's probably true. And I'm facing that and I'm working on that and I wanna grow and so I'm learning how to practice that. Because people who live in a spirit of truthfulness and are moving away from falsehood are people that have understood some things about who God is, the very nature of God. A Christian lives a godly life for the reason that he or she is infused with the glorious facts of who God is and who you are. It's completely infused. The Bible says that we're to put off falsehood because we are infused with the God of truth. That's a different motivation than just put it off because God's gonna get upset with us. No, 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 put it off because it's not who you are. Put it off because you're infused with the God of truth who's living and breathing and in you, the very spirit of the living God. And we don't ever wanna separate ourselves from that reality because when we separate ourselves from that reality, we're disconnecting from our true nature, who we really are the spirit of the living God. I don't want to disconnect myself from the spirit because the spirit is in me. It's a part of me and I am a part of what the spirit is doing in the world because God is the essence of truth. Not just truth, God's the very essence of truth. That which is most real. We could say that God is fierce with reality. Just like down to the very core, we see God is the most real thing that we've got in life. And so as we lean into that and move away from falsehood, we don't want to disconnect from the God of truth because we want to be people who are fierce with reality because I was created to operate in truth. I was created to live in the spirit of the light and not in the darkness. And so I want to move away from falsehood and deeper into God, who God created me to be. That also means that I don't want to lie to myself. I don't want to start believing things that are not true about Jonathan Woolner. I don't want you as Jesus followers to start believing things that are not true about you because if we're honest, we all have these tapes, these narratives that go around and around and around and around and some of you gotta push stop on that tape because it's ridiculous. But it keeps playing around and around and around and your brain is just like, yes, these things are true. Those things are not true. What God says is what's true of you. And you've got to pound that down into the depths of your very being. So how in the heck are we going to do this, friends? I mean, how are we going to put these things into practice? Three things that I want to move us through for the remainder of our time. In order to practice moving away from a spirit of falsehood, we have got to learn how to be honest with God. We've got to learn how to be honest with ourselves. And we've got to, be, we've got to learn how to be honest with each other. And I think those three, those three work together in tandem. You can't separate them out. They all work together. Now, if we step back in God's bigger story for a moment to Genesis chapter three, in the beginning, God creates. It's good. There's connection with humanity and God. And then in chapter three, Adam and Eve, who are these two main characters in the story, kind of these representations of, of humanity, decide that they want to go out on their own. They want to step away from the created order, disconnect from the source of life and light, and see if there's a better life over here. So they disconnect from life, and they begin to move out to see if they can find a sense of who they are apart from God. I would call this moving into the deep weeds. 
right? They're, they're moving out into the deep weeds to try to explore if there's something better out there. Now, as soon as they did that, they became aware of the fact that they were naked. They'd always been naked. Now they became aware of it. And what was their first act? Do you remember what their first act was? They hid. Isn't that interesting? So they step out of the divine order, the created order, and now all of a sudden they feel the need to hide. Hmm. They hide from God, they hide from each other, and they hide from themselves, essentially. So it's a real strike against the psyche of humanity. And they begin to put all these things into practice. They become aware of the fact that they're naked. And they do this thing, maybe you've heard of this. They do this thing that humans do called blame shifting. Anybody in the room do that? Where it's not you, it's them. And it's always them, it's rarely you. And so we've developed these patterns, these ways of life to hide from ourselves and from each other by blame shifting. God comes looking for a humanity after it all breaks open and he's looking for humanity and all of a sudden they feel the need to hide. God asks the question, what's up? And he says, I don't know, the woman made me do it, right? And the woman says, well, me, it was the serpent. It's always somebody else. It's rarely ourselves. And the more time we spend focusing on everybody else is the, we, we decrease the time that we've got to work on ourselves. I got to work on me. I'm a, I'm a hot mess sometimes. So I've got to work on this. And I've got to put into practice moving away from falsehood, getting back into the light and not blame shifting, but stepping back into who I really am. Problem is, is though, friends, we, we have a really hard time letting people see who we really are because we don't want them to see. I don't want you to cut into me. I don't want you to see this stuff going on inside of me. And what we're doing when we hide is we're moving away. We're moving away from relationship. We're operating in that, the essence of the spirit of falsehood. One of the questions, and this is my own paraphrased version of the question, when God comes to Adam and says, Adam, what happened? You don't seem like yourself anymore. Huh. Who's been messing with you? Because you don't, you don't seem like you anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Like when people start to lose the essence of who they are and you're kind of going, what? So what's up? You just don't seem like you anymore. Where, where did you go? And a lot of us are in that place where we kind of disconnect from ourselves and, and we're hiding and, and we no longer feel the need to be, we can't be open because we're tearing all of these elaborate duds, these things that we cover ourselves with. It's like friends, um, bell bottoms are no longer in style. Keep those off your body, right? There's all these duds that we're putting on us. You, you weren't made for that. Don't put that on. That's not who you are. Step into the light and start being who you are, a truth teller. Start being a person that doesn't give themselves over to anger. Start being careful with how you use your words. Start practicing all the things that Jesus invites us into. And one of the main ways that I think the enemy, the serpent, Satan, evil forces operates in our lives is through falsehood. It's always like the essence of, of sin is about falsehood, moving us away from truth and light. And lies are always the main way that evil operates and works in our lives. It's just how it works. Lies. And the Bible refers to Satan as the accuser and the prosecutor. And it gives us an image of, of being in a courtroom. You guys, we're all in a courtroom every day, if you're not aware of this. And the accuser and the prosecutor is throwing things in our direction, bending our ears, bending our hearts and our minds, telling us all the things that, that we've done wrong. 
And what I like to remind the enemy of is, you know what, you keep telling me what I'm not, and that's not very interesting. Because what I'm not isn't interesting, but who I am is fascinating. And can I tell you a little bit about who I am? Because you're, you're not getting it right. That the worst thing that I've ever done doesn't define who I am. I'm not the worst thing I've ever done. Come on. I'm deeper than that. That stuff doesn't, that doesn't define who I am. And so I pound it into my very being because I have to. I have to pound it into my brain almost every day. Acts 26 says this. It says, oh, open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Isn't that the desire? To turn from the power of the liar to God who is the essence of what is most true and real. Because our ears are being bent every day. My question to you is who's bending your ear? Who's got it? What, what's being said to you? Because if you look at your problems, they're all rooted in lies that are operating deep down in the human heart. And if you want to stop that evil force and you want to stop that courtroom from playing on an obsessant tape over and over again, you have got to learn how to create a minefield of truth around your brain. A minefield of truth to saturate your mind in who God is, who others are, and who you are that you don't have to hide anymore. Because the reality is, is it's going to be midnight soon, Cinderella, and you're going to have to let it all out anyway. So before the bell rings, let's step into the created order of how things truly are. Begin pounding down the truth into your soul. I love this uh, moment in David's life where David is grieving over his sin and what he's done and he's repenting and he's working on his heart and he's downcast and he's depressed and he says to himself, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Yes. So some of us need to just say, hey, soul, put your hope in God. What are you doing? And pound it in there as much as you need to do. Put your hope in God, the restorer of your heart, the one that loves you and is fierce for you. And you pound it down into the depths of your soul. And there's this word that scripture uses and it's, and it's this word repent. And isn't that just the best word, repent? Everybody's like, no, it's not. <laughs> but let's look at it this way. If you were to take it back into its Hebrew context, the word repent is actually the word teshuva. And teshuva means return. The question I ask, return to what? Hmm. I think return back to who you really are. So instead of shame or condemnation or you're not following the rules, it's like, hey, come on home. You've moved too far out in the deep weeds. Come on back. Come on back to who you really are. It's okay. I'm not going to be mad at you. I just want you to come back. Come on home. So if we think of repentance as teshuva, we can say to the prosecutor and the accuser, we can say to our own narratives, hey, teshuva to that. And some of y'all need to start saying teshuva. I say teshuva to that. I'm returning back to who I am. And I'm no longer going to allow you to dictate who I am. I'm gonna teshuva that moment. I'm out. I'm out of this game. Stop. Jesus had paid the price. The verdict is in. I'm good. I'm not perfect. That's not the goal. But I'm good and I'm going to practice. And I'm going to intentionally move towards relationships because I don't want there to be any brokenness in a relationship. And I'm going to take criticism because I already know who I am. 
And I'm going to be able to move into those hard areas of life because I already know who I am. So I'm secure in that sense of who God has made me to be. Now imagine this with me. What if someone comes up to you after the service today, pulls you aside and says, hey, we as your friends have noticed that you've been abrupt and rude. Many of us have seen this and we've experienced this. When you try to talk to people, you're not gentle, you're actually offensive. What if someone actually had the guts to say that to you? Or what if someone came up to you and and had the guts to say, you know what, you seem to complain so much and rarely have a good word to say about anyone. I and others have noticed. Or how about this? As well-meaning as you are, you're always saying yes and you never seem to follow through. Or what about this? Everyone here loves you, but you can't keep a secret. What are these? Character flaws. We've all got them. We're all working. What are you going to do if someone actually becomes a truth teller and tells you the truth? What are you going to do? Where are you rooted? So a couple of years ago, a dear friend of mine came to me and she said, Jonathan, what are you so angry about? Now, I'm an Enneagram nine, and nines are peacemakers. And inside, I'm like, I'm not angry about anything. I am a peace-loving, gentle soul. How dare you accuse me of being angry? Oh, the great reveal, the moment. But as she said it, it came from such a deep place of love and care. She was my friend. And I thought, you know, I need to explore that. So through therapy, lots of it, through honesty, through truth-telling, through an openness, an unbiased spirit, attempting to purify my heart and leaning into what God says that I am, I'm learning how to deal with my anger. Because I got an anger problem. And sometimes it turns into bitterness, and it turns into rage, and it just comes out when the heat gets turned up. Now, I've embarrassed myself, there you go. But I'm working on it. And I'm trying to walk in the way of Jesus to the best of my ability and lean into dealing with my anger because I don't want anger to be the thing that defines me. I don't want that. I don't want you to experience my anger. I want the love of Jesus to come spilling out when I get jostled. That's what I want. How about you? What are you hiding from? What are you hiding from when it comes to your relationship with God? What are you hiding from in relationship to others? And what are you hiding from in yourself? And do you have the courage to step into that? That's the question for you this morning. We're going to sing. We're going to respond with a song. And then after the song, we're just going to take a few moments to confess some things in our own quiet heart, a practice of confession and continuing to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Is my worship team available? (laughs) There we go.
Real quick, before we do the song, um, can we just take a moment and pray for Michelle Miller? She was uh, taken to the emergency room a few minutes ago. She was trying to light a pilot light in the kitchen, and there were, apparently there had been a build-up, and it kind of blew back in her face. So John just took her to the emergency room. Um, so can we just take a moment and pray for her? Pastor John, can you lead us in prayer? Oh, Jesus, step into this. Um, step into this, Jesus. And do what only you can do. Um, we love Michelle. We love her. Uh, we just ask for your mercy and strength and um, your healing power to enter into this situation. Now, in the name of Jesus, please. Be merciful to her. Bless her. Comfort John. Um, let us know what we can do, Jesus, to help. Be mighty. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <laughs>